0: And for those joining us via the live stream uh, for our sermon today, this is just one part of our service here at City Temple. If you'd like to be part of the whole of the service, just drop us an email uh, at the email address there on your screen, and we'll send you the login details so you can join in with us. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to two places, to Hebrews chapter 2 and then 1 John chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 2, 1 John chapter 3. And before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for the Bible. I thank you that it is trustworthy and true. And I pray that by your spirit, you would speak to us today through the words of Scripture, as well as through this sermon, that it might bring glory and honor to you, that it might bring encouragement to us, and that we might be empowered to live more faithfully for you In the world today, we love you and praise you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And in Hebrews 2, uh, the writer to the Hebrews here is talking about uh, Jesus. uh, And uh, we're going to pick up the, the story there with verse 5 of chapter 2. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. May God bless to us that word. And now to 1 John chapter 3, passage that we read last week, we're going to read the In its entirety, down to verse 10. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet yet appeared. But we know that when He appears... We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother or sister. May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. Hallelujah. Scrooge! It's one of my favorite movie lines. You know, the problem is that that doesn't occur in the book. I was looking at that, you know, just getting ready to find, you know, where where does the ghost of Marley say, Scrooge! It it doesn't happen. But, you know, A Christmas Carol is perhaps my favorite all-time Christmas story. Ever since I saw the, uh, the version, it's, I think it's from the 1950s with Alistair Sim, who I think is probably still the best Scrooge of all time. I, I don't know that anybody has bested him. And I really like uh, Patrick Stewart, uh, the guy who played John Luke Picard in, in Star Trek. His version was really good. I've seen some other good, good versions, but, uh, but Alistair Sim was brilliant in the role of Scrooge. And uh, I just love that, although I think the overall, the absolute best version of A Christmas Carol, without a doubt, has to be, drum roll please, A Muppet Christmas Carol. That has to be the best. I I looked at a list of all-time best Christmas films, and I almost dismissed it, Because it had Muppet Christmas Carol, not at number one or two or three, but all the way down like number 40. And I said, you know, you don't know film if you rate Muppet Christmas Carol down toward number 40 on all time greatest Christmas films. Uh, But anyway, you know, a Christmas Carol is great. It's one of the greatest stories. But have you ever asked yourself this? Why are ghost stories so popular at Christmas? Do you think about that? I mean, there are a lot of ghost stories. In fact, uh, just about every year, I notice on the BBC, uh, it tends to have the, the the annual Christmas ghost story. And you think, well, that's kind of strange, you know, to talk about ghosts and and things at, at Christmas time. But but think about this, you know, in the story as it unfolds, think about how much occurs at night. I mean, Jesus is born at night. The shepherds are watching their flocks by night. Uh, How do the wise men get to Jesus? They follow a star. When do the stars come out except for the sun? At night. You got night all all around. And even in in John 1, he talks about how the light shines in the darkness. There's an aspect of this darkness that seems to surround Christmas time. And in fact, when John talks about it, he says, and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, there's an, uh, an implication here that the darkness is trying to overcome the light. And so even in the midst of this celebration even in the midst of the joy of the coming of Jesus Christ, the first advent of Jesus, there's this whole issue of darkness. And if you read A Christmas Carol, it really brings out the darkness and the evil that is in the world. And when we look around us now, we see all kinds of darkness and evil in the world. You know, when I hear about human trafficking, I think about all the darkness and evil in the world, how women are treated in so many societies. I think about the darkness and evil that's in the world, how so many uh, corporations don't really have any kind of sense of social responsibility. How people are cheating one another and depriving one another and, and how people treat one another. And there's wars and there's famine and uh, when there's a uh, famine is needless. I mean, there's, there's no need for a famine in this world because we can feed the world. And so we see the darkness, we see the evil and things all around us. And the, we know that the one behind all this darkness and all this evil is the devil. We can see the devil's works all around us right now. But the good news is that Jesus appeared, Jesus came to destroy the devil's works. The reason, John says, the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. And we cannot celebrate Christmas, we cannot celebrate Advent without a recognition that Jesus came to destroy the devil's works. It's one of the reasons why I love songs like God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, one of my favorite Christmas hymns, you know, to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. Or O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, you know, to set us free from Satan's tyranny. Jesus came to destroy the devil's works. And every year when we celebrate this season of the year, we celebrate the fact that Jesus came to destroy the devil's works. But in order to celebrate this to the fullest extent, we need to know a number of things about this reality that Jesus came to destroy the devil's works. We need to know first how it was that Jesus destroyed the devil's works. When you read Hebrews there, as we read that passage, you'll note that it refers to everything having been put under the feet of Jesus. uh, and, And yet it says as well, but we don't really see everything under the feet of Jesus. So when we're living in this world and we see the devil's works all around us, sometimes it's difficult to affirm that Jesus came to destroy the devil's works until we see how Jesus has come to destroy the devil's works, how he could do that. Jesus could come, could destroy the devil's works, because Jesus, as fully God, became fully a human being in what we call the Incarnation. The incarnation means basically that Jesus, who is God, became into the flesh, incarnate, the flesh. Jesus became a full human being, fully God and fully human. He had to enter our world as a full human being in order to destroy the devil's works because Adam had given control over the world to the devil through the power of sin. So Jesus became like us as a full human being. He was fully like us. We mentioned that last week. But Jesus had no sin in him whatsoever. If Jesus had even done one little sin, if he told even one little white lie, he could not have destroyed the devil's works because he would have participated in the devil's works. By the way, that's why we can't destroy the devil's works ourselves. Because by our sin, we have participated in the devil's works. You might say, well, I, I, I'm basically a good person. It's one of the things that's really annoying me. I mentioned that last week, annoying me on TV. I heard it again this week. Yeah, I, I, you know, I know my mother has, has killed a thousand people, but you know, she's basically a good person. No, she's not. Uh, and we all want to do that, don't we? Yeah, you know, I, I know I cheated a bit and, and I know I've been mean to people, but, you know, I'm basically a good person. No, you're not. We've sinned. We've participated in the devil's works. We've contributed to the problem. You know, discarding one piece of rubbish inappropriately is contributing to the problem of pollution. Pollution. We're continuing to the problem, but Jesus didn't. There was no sin in him whatsoever so he could destroy the devil's works. So he lived the sinless life and then he willingly laid down his life on the cross. It wasn't the Jewish people that crucified Jesus. It wasn't Herod or Pilate that crucified Jesus. Ultimately, it was Jesus who allowed himself to be crucified. Jesus willingly laid down his life, and he died on the cross as our sinless sacrifice. He died on the cross, paying the price for our sin. He died on the cross, and importantly, we need to understand that in that moment of weakness, in that death, that weakness that he allowed himself to be subjected to in that moment of weakness was the moment that he triumphed and broke and destroyed the devil's works. At the point of weakness and death, that is when Jesus won the victory. As Paul says in Colossians, he he triumphed, he, he led the principalities and powers, the demonic spirits, in a triumphal procession having triumphed over them in the cross. That's in the cross. And then to add insult to injury when it comes to the devil, Jesus on the third day rose bodily from the dead. And when he rose from the grave, physically, bodily, in victory, he demonstrated his power over sin, over death, over hell, over all the power of the devil. But understand, he destroyed the devil's works when he died on the cross. It was at that point in time. This is how Jesus destroyed the devil's works. This is how Jesus destroyed the devil's works. But to celebrate this today, we also need to understand that when Jesus destroyed the devil's works there at the cross, that destruction wasn't fully completed, if you will. In fact, when you look at the Scriptures, there are four stages to the fulfillment of destroying the devil's works as initiated and completed in the cross. Now, we have to make sure I'm saying this, We don't add anything to the cross. The cross destroyed the devil's works. You don't add anything to it. You can't take anything from it. It was completed. It was paid for. It was done. It was finished on the cross of Christ. But as I mentioned, the writer to the Hebrews points out, he says, okay, it was done, but we don't see it all done yet. You know, what's going on there? And let me give you an example to try to understand this. When I was a kid, I would ask my parents for a gift. And I learned pretty early on that my parents would generally buy me whatever I asked them to buy me. What good parents, right? Uh, I, you know, I didn't ask for anything like nuclear weapons, so it was Okay. Uh, but they would, you know, they buy like Hot Wheels, you know, race car tracks and, you know, things like that. Uh, I remember just a few of the gifts that I got. But they would buy me these gifts. And I know that they would buy me these gifts. And they would look for a sale during the year to buy me the gift for Christmas. But I hated to wait till Christmas morning to open my gift. So I would know that they had bought the gift I would assume and assume that they've hidden it someplace in the house and so along about October around my birthday after I finished uh, enjoying all the gifts I got for my birthday that was the time to begin looking for the gifts that my parents probably got me for Christmas and I would look around and I would look around and only occasionally would I find it which actually made life worse because if I found the gift they still wouldn't let me play with it until Christmas. Uh, So I would know it's there, I would see it, and it would just be like they're taunting me continuously. Uh, And then it would go under the tree, and if I hadn't found it, we'd set up our tree along about Thanksgiving holiday, about a month before Christmas, set up the tree, and shortly thereafter, parents would start to put some gifts under the tree. And so then I'm like, okay, what's in there? You know, what, what's in that box? What, uh, you know, I'm going to get the gift. I'm going to get the gift. What's in the box? And, and I would, you know, I wasn't allowed to open it, but, you know, I would, I would, I would do everything I could besides opening it. So, so I'd take some of the wrapping paper and try to pull it back a little bit on the end, you know, so I could see maybe the title or the, the car on the box or something like that. But there was this whole degree of anticipation, And then on Christmas Day, and finally, we persuaded our parents that it was really not good to have to open your gift on Christmas Day. Christmas Eve was the time. Uh, So it started to be Christmas Eve. Then we could open our gifts, and we'd open our gifts, and we'd get the gift that we thought we were going to get. And and sometimes other gifts that were really a lot of fun. Uh, But we'd get that gift. But the point is here, we knew we had the gift. We knew it was coming we could trust our parents to give us a good gift and that it was going to be good. And that's when I learned I don't really like surprises. I like to know what's coming. And so I would kind of know what was coming, but I could still be surprised. But there was this sense of anticipation. So I had the gift. The gift was fully bought and paid for, but I had to wait to open the gift. And that created a dynamic that if where I already had the gift, but I didn't quite have it yet. Well, we see that already and not yet dynamic throughout Advent. You know, Jesus has already come in the flesh, but He is coming again. He's already here, but He's not yet here. And there's a tension that exists throughout the Scripture between the already and the not yet. The same is true of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here right now. It's here in the midst of us. It's here in us. But the kingdom of God is not yet here in its fullness. Jesus has destroyed the devil's works. It has been done, but we do not yet see it in its fullness. And as we look at the Scripture, we see four stages to the unfolding of this total destruction of the devil's works. The first stage happened in the Old Testament. Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. They sinned. They were created sinless. I believe they were created to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. They did not have to sin, and had Adam and Eve not sinned, the devil's works would have been completely destroyed already. But they sinned. They cooperated with the devil. And then we see even then, when God addresses them, he says, As Satan, you know, the woman is going to crush your head. You know, the, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. Even there was a proclamation that the devil's works and the devil himself would be utterly destroyed. But then God began to unfold His plan and His purpose. And it started in the nation of Israel. And you know that whole history. And I'm not going to repeat the whole history. You can read the whole Old Testament for yourself again and get it. And then that led us up to the cross of Jesus Christ. That moment of history when the devil's works were fully destroyed by Jesus who came and appeared. But there is still an unfolding in the purposes of God that, are going, that, was, that, that God designed. And so now the devil's works continue to be destroyed through the church, the people of God. It's in the church of Jesus Christ, in union with Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice what God is doing right now. He's left us in this world filled with brokenness and sin. And he's left us in this world as people in many respects of weakness. Of people with not a lot of power. And just as Jesus destroyed the devil's works and the point of weakness there on the cross, he is unfolding the destruction of the devil's works through us as the body of Christ, even though we're weak, even though we seem many times of no account. It's not through our strength that the devil's works is destroyed, church. It is through our weakness when we are united with Jesus Christ in the cross. And Jesus continues to unfold that. And notice what Jesus promised to Peter. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us. And that is true. And so that's the next stage. And God is demonstrating His manifold witness in Jesus Christ through the church of Jesus Christ to all the powers that be right now. But that doesn't end it. One day, Jesus Christ is going to return. And when Jesus Christ returns, Jesus will rule on this earth for a thousand years in what's called the millennium. And during the thousand years, Jesus and his leadership, and we in partnership with Jesus as his saints, we will rule in this earth as God originally intended this earth to be ruled. And we will fulfill the mission that God originally intended to give us to demonstrate once again to all the powers of hell that God's way is the right way. And through the course of the millennium, Jesus will continue to demonstrate the destruction of the devil's works. And then one day, there will be a new heaven and a new earth that God's created, and no evil, no sin, no hell, nothing impure will dwell in that new heaven and new earth. There will not be a devil. He will no longer exist because he will be utterly destroyed. And that's God's plan. These are the stages. And if we're going to celebrate the destruction of the devil's works, we need to understand the unfolding of these stages. And we celebrate them and we rejoice in them as well. But now the question comes for us right now. How do we share in the destruction of the devil's works? God has called us, Jesus has called us into partnership with himself in destroying the devil's works. That is part of our calling. That is part of our destiny as the people of God. So how do we share in that? And I want to suggest a few things. First of all, and most importantly, we share in that through righteous living, Seeking justice and doing good. Righteous living, seeking justice and doing good. That's what we do. You notice, if you read the book of Acts, you notice that Paul never had to go into a town and he doesn't cast down Satan in the town. He doesn't scream at demons in the town. And yet, cities are changed with the gospel. What's the key? The key is one word. Obedience. When we obey the Lord in living righteously, in seeking justice, and doing good, we are participating in the destruction of the devil's works. And we do that every single day. You go to work tomorrow, and you act righteously in your workplace you seek justice for people you do good to people you are participating in the destruction of the devil's works that's our mission as the church one of our aspect of our mission so seeking a righteous living seeking justice doing good a second way that we participate in the destruction of the devil's works is by being the church by actively engaging in the church. You know, when you come together and we're worshiping God together, we're not focusing on the devil, but we are participating in the destruction of the devil's works alongside our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As the church, we are a vital part of God's mission right now of destroying the devil's works. And we do that as we share in the church, as we live uh, our lives in connection with other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, even over Zoom, however we do it, as long as we're fully engaged in the life of the community, we share in that. Another way, another big way we share in the destruction of the devil's works is through worship and prayer. But note, our worship and prayer is focused on Jesus. It's not focused on Satan. Satan. If you want to deal with the darkness, turn on the light. And the promise is that the darkness shall not overcome it. So every time we worship and we're focused on the Lord, we're destroying the devil's works. Every time we pray like we pray during the service and we're lifting up Jesus, we're destroying the devil's works. And we are an active part of this through worship and prayer. And then, and only then, we might get to the fourth area, which we might call spiritual warfare. Now, a lot of times, Christians think that we have to be involved in spiritual warfare to destroy the devil's works, and that is actually not true at all. Just by living righteously, seeking justice, doing good, connecting with the church, worship and prayer, living our lives in the world as God has called us to live. We are destroying the devil's works. We are participating in that destruction of the devil's works. But spiritual warfare happens when Satan gets in our way, when demons get in our way, when the power of darkness gets in our way. That's when we begin to rise up in this thing called spiritual warfare. We talk about deliverance ministry because we do believe that there are demons. We believe that demons uh, infect people sometimes, kind of like people get infected by a virus, and uh, that sometimes those demons need to be cast out. And people need to be part of their own health in getting those things cast out of their lives. And if a demon starts manifesting, we deal with it in the name of Jesus. We command it to stop, to not interfere, to not disrupt in any way, shape, or form. And then we work with that person to help them get them free. The same is true. Uh, when we start to feel an obstacle in doing what God has called us to do, then we get down and say, Lord God Almighty, we pray that you'd bring down the kingdom of Satan in this area. We say to any kind of demonic spirit that's trying to influence us together, the Lord rebuke you. We will not stand for it because Jesus is greater than all the power of darkness. Like how I emphasize that Jesus. Where did I learn that? I, I don't know. I don't know. But it's true. And that's spiritual warfare. But you know, one of the greatest ways that we participate in the destruction of the devil's work is simply by testifying to Jesus. Simply by telling people about Jesus. Simply by making it clear to people that we are Christians that we stand with Jesus Christ, that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. I love what it says, Revelation chapter 12. You know the verse, verse 11. And they have conquered him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto the point of death. And the testimony of Jesus Christ, you don't have to preach it, you don't have to scream it, You can just share it in conversation. Share the love of Jesus explicitly with people. That testimony is part of the destruction of the devil's works. We will overcome in that testimony. Jesus came to destroy the devil's works and we are part of the destruction of the devil's works ourselves We share in that. That is part of our calling. That is part of our destiny. And frankly, you know, we're not going to see it fully accomplished in this world as it is. It is broken. It is distorted by the power of sin. God never intended this universe to be permanent. He always intended it to be a transitional universe to the new heavens and the new earth that he was going to create. He intended it to be a place where the outworking of Satan's destruction could be seen by all. Jesus appeared to destroy the devil's works and we are part of that. Even this season, as we celebrate the babe lying in the manger, as we sing the songs of praise, as we remind people around us that, you know, the reason for this time of the year is not to buy gifts, it's not to have family over, it's not to have a five-day window a uh, freedom from COVID-19 restrictions. The reason for this time of the year is to celebrate the coming of Jesus, the one who came to destroy the devil's works. Let us do that together. Let us pray. Gracious God, we love you and we honor you and we worship you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to destroy the devil's works. That's the reason why you appeared. And thank you that in the cross, of Jesus Christ, the devil was defeated. And thank you that you have now led all the powers of darkness in a triumphal procession of shame on them and glory for you, having triumphed over them in the cross. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for making us people of the cross, for causing us to follow you, to lay down our lives to be your followers. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you work in us and you use us as agents of the destruction of the devil's work in partnership with Jesus under the leadership of Jesus, filled with the Spirit of Jesus in this world every single day. I pray, Father God, that you would help us by your Spirit to the glory of Jesus to live righteously every day, to seek justice every day, and to do good every day, not with a focus on the devil, but with a focus on Jesus and his glory. And Jesus, we pray that your glory, your light, would shine forth from us in this place, wherever we go throughout this season. We love you and praise you. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yeah, not not at the moment. We can do this after the service. Yep. Um, let's uh, let's close our worship now uh, with a real celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit.